Oh, hey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocti Podcast. I really appreciate it. This past weekend, Rivals of Waterdeep returned with episode one of their ninth season and introduced two new cast members, Eugenio Vargas and Brian Gray. They made an instant impact on the show, and I really look forward to seeing what they'll do with the rest of the season. I'm going to chat with them here on the podcast in the next little while and get their thoughts on what it's like to join a show with extensive history. I'm really looking forward to that. Unearthed Arcana got an update recently and introduced Gothic lineages, providing enhanced character options for people to expand their 5th edition game. The update includes the Dampyr, Hexblood, and Reborn lineages. Dampyr provides a bit of vampire to your D&D experience, while the Hexblood is more about Fae, tying the character to hags and witches, but those specifics are up to you. Lastly, it introduces the Reborn. If your characters died, they can return as a construct or undead in many of the perks, and hindrances that come with that. These lineages are the first to come without an ability score increase and racial proficiencies such as languages. They follow the rules outlined in Tasha's that will allow players to make their own choices regarding stat bumps, traits, and more. It surely seems like the D&D team is committed to making the game more inclusive and following through with what they started in Tasha's. Last week I spoke about Dragonlance and how I feel that it's going to be one of the settings coming in the next few years. Do these gothic lineages suggest that we might see a Ravenloft setting to follow as well? Something a bit more expansive than what we saw in Curse of Strahd and Curse of Strahd Reram, the adventure books? Maybe. It's hard to say. I suspect one of them will be Dragonlance and one of them might be, one of them might be Ravenloft, but I'm sure we're going to get some more thoughts on that in the coming months. My guest today is James Intracasso. He's a well-known game designer. Emmy-nominated producer and writer. He's recently released Burn Bright for the Roll20 platform and My Dad's Monster Manual on DM's Guild. He recently started at MCDM as a full-time game designer. I hope you enjoy my chat with James Intracasso. Hey James, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Look at that, already off to a cough start. <coughs> I'm very sorry. Uh, hey, Gary, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, this is awesome. It's great to be here with you. Uh, we're, we're in Fort Nerd. This is great. Yes, this is, this is the, the Fort Nerd, uh, the center of uh, many nerdy projects. And so thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, my first question is uh, beyond how you're surviving this uh, post-apocalyptic world we live in. Is uh, <laughs> What was your first experience with Dungeons & Dragons? Oh, that's great. Uh, so my first experience with D&D is like the prototypical D&D story. Uh, my older brother and his friends were playing in our parents' basement. Um, and I watched them for a long time and really wanted to play and basically bugged them until they let me play because somebody had to go home early and they still wanted a cleric at the table, right? Like that's yeah. kind of the story. Um, and then from there, uh, I told some of my friends about it and somebody was like, hey, my dad, uh, he played this game in college. And then we all started playing together and I didn't have to rely on my brother and his friends to let me play. I started my own group. So that's that's how it all got started. Do you have any mem mem like concrete memories of that, that first game? 
Yes, I do. So I remember I had been watching my brother and his friends play for a couple days and it blew my mind. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, I was born in, in 85. Right. And so like video game technology was not where it was. Um, yeah. And even where it is now, you know, like I would play video games as a kid and think like, oh, there's things I want to do, but I can't. Right. And it blew my mind that you could do anything in this game that you could do in real life. And so I, uh, I really, really wanted to play. And I remember, um, uh, like sitting down to play and I thought I had like a good grasp on fantasy, right? Like I was yeah. a kid who read the Hobbit and all that kind of stuff. Um, and sitting down and not knowing what a mace was and like having that explained to me and that sort of thing. And then, uh, pouring over the rule books and stuff. And then a lot for a long time, what I actually played, um, when I started to play with my own friends, we played a game called the fantasy trip. Okay. Um, that is a, uh, for for young kids, easier to understand than second edition D&D, which is what my brother and his friends were playing at the time. Um, and uh, and so I have a lot of memories of the fantasy trip playing uh, and like making lizard men and, uh, you know, uh, really statting out all of the creatures and, and hacking, you know, um, all of the stuff that we wanted to hack in there, like uh, laser rifles and things like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I hadn't played fantasy trip myself, but that sounds awesome. Uh, being able to create your own world is part of the the allure of tabletop role-playing games in general. So it sounds like you did just that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it, I think for me. Um, so my blog that I started is called world builder blog. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that was sort of the focus at the beginning was building worlds. Now it's about all kinds of stuff. Um, but that's how it started. So yeah, I, that's a huge, huge part of the fun. And I think that's one reason people like D and D so much is especially fifth edition comes kind of with the default setting of like, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and people like that. So back to the first half of the of my uh, first question, are you still able to play games during the pandemic? Do you have a group that you're playing with online or a bubble that you're playing with in person or has gaming more or less slowed because of the pandemic for you? Yeah, I would say I play more in the pandemic because all of my friends have are free to play. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're not going as many places and they're not doing things. Um, so I, uh, I, I definitely have more game hours in and and not fewer um, because of the pandemic. And I've always been, I, I sort of embraced virtual tabletops from the beginning. I used the 4E virtual tabletop that Wizards put out and then I moved oh. over to Roll20. And um, so I, uh, I play with a lot of people from before I was really involved in the industry. And then I mm -hmm. play with people I met online and stuff. So we were playing online to begin with. So it wasn't really that hard to transition uh, in that respect, because it was like, well, this is where we're already playing our games. So we'll just keep doing that. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like you had a bit of an advantage over a, a lot of folks who were transitioning online. We did um, the social club I run here in Toronto. We would run eight tables a week in person of DDAL. Uh, and cool. then sort of in March, it stopped. And um, all the organizers had to just convert everything to roll 20 and still running eight or 10 tables a week. But now it's all digital, of course. Yeah, and it is the the work of moving organized play. Um, so first, there's a lot of work involved in organized play. I think people yeah. like think about what you do to organize your home group, multiply that by eight, and then add a lot of admin work on top yeah. of that, right? Yeah. 
and that's that's what you're doing every week and then transitioning all that stuff like my hat is off to you for keeping that going because i know a lot of people who said we'll just pick it up whenever there's a vaccine widely available and everybody has it yeah um, so uh and i don't blame them for that because it is so much work to begin with so my hat is off to you for keeping that going because i think games are really helping people right now uh they're helping connect they're helping people stay social yeah. they're helping distract people it's hugely important yeah. And, you know, our, our friends over at Citadel Geek who run the Geeks United D&D games every week uh, need a big shout out. They're the ones who are doing most of the work. And um, the uh, the thing that you're talking about connecting is part of the thing that I've always loved about tabletop RPGs because it brings people together. You know, you could look at a, a, a table and you may think that these people from different backgrounds and races and creeds may have nothing in common, but they get uh, seated at this table and they're just sort of in, in simpatico. And the group now is actually more so we're based in toronto uh, it, our group is now more um worldwide than it is canadian so we have more than half of our members are actually from outside of canada than inside so that's sort of been a benefit we've met a ton of new people and that's been really amazing so you're a writer a producer and generally you're a pretty creative guy for anybody who's looked at your website when did you first become interested in writing as a career has it been something that's interested you for a long time when did you know that this was it this is what you wanted to do so i've been interested in writing since uh, so first grade i can remember thinking like oh this is a job which was the first time i had to write a short story ever right mm -hmm. um was was in first grade uh and i still remember it was about a, a robot um and uh and i really really enjoyed writing this story like we all had to like arts and crafts a robot together and then write yeah. a story about it right and it was probably about three sentences long but i remember being like this is amazing and whenever we had a creative writing project like that in school i i really dug into it and loved it mm -hmm. um and so that was always a thing that I wanted to do. Um, and uh, and I had always been playing role-playing games. And I remember saying to my mom, like, oh, I want to write role-playing game books, right? Yeah. And as I got older, I discovered, like, well, that's really hard to do. It's a lot of people want to do it. There's not that many full-time jobs. And so I started to back off from that until I was in high school. And one of my friends said to me, um, well, I mean, somebody has to do it why not you? Right. And I was like, well, that's a great point. Someone <laughs> does have to do it. And why not me? Right. Um, and so, uh, so that uh, was something that I thought about for a while. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, in, in college, I majored in television and film production, and I mm -hmm. wrote a lot of TV commercials and stuff like that. Um, so be, writing has been part of my career uh, and part of my life and, and sort of my creative outlets and, and hobbies for uh, for as long as I have been able to read and write as, right. as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first story I ever wrote was, um, I was a fan of the Boston Bruins at, for some reason at that time. Mm -hmm. And like, it was a grade one and I floated out of my body and I became Ray Bork. And sure. uh, that was the first, the first, uh, fantasy story that I ever wrote. <laughs> I mean, I honestly like the unfettered creativity of first graders, they would be getting, all of the movie deals, all of the novel deals, writing all of the comic books, uh, if it weren't for the fact that they're pretty bad at the actual like technical aspects of writing, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, their ideas are so just unfettered creativity that have no shame, baggage, marketing, uh, desire to succeed yeah. attached to it. It's just this is what they think is fun and they want to put it out there in the world. 
And I, I think some of the people who are doing their best work are the people who are able to tap into that first grader is like, I'm going to create something that I love. Um, and, you know, if I'm true to that goal, there are other people who are going to love it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, a it's, huge thing. Yeah. It's, it's, I think a lot of times where you look at a project where there's uh, some promise in it, you can sort of tell, particularly you for, uh, who've done so much writing and, and, um, uh, production, you can sort of tell where they made compromises along the way. Oh, we need to appeal to this demographic and this demographic. And they sort of lost the magic, what made the idea interesting in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's my big thing that I tell to new writers is, um, especially in role-playing games, like write the thing you want to use, write the thing that you want to see in the world um, instead of what you think everybody else wants to see. Because the whole reason you're doing this is because you, you're you going to yeah. enjoy yourself, right? Nobody's in role-playing games to get rich. Um, and uh, and I think if you want to be rich, go be a banker and run D&D on the side, right? Yeah. Enjoy D&D that way. But if if you're like so passionate about it, you have to do this. I would say don't chase things, um, do what you want to do, and you'll find success. I mean, there's all kinds of people we can point to who have really done that. Um, you know, uh, Oliver Darkshire, I think, is certainly a person who has found success doing what they wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. Doing what he wanted to do over on, on the Guild. Um, you know, I think that a lot about uh, Mike Shea, right? Like Mike Shea of Sly Flourish was like, these are the things that I want to write about. I want to write GM advice. I want to do these things. And mm -hmm. and here it is. And he's found a lot of success doing that. So those are good people to, uh, to look to when you're thinking about like, how do I find success? Um, because your passion will then carry you through because it is a lot of work. It's a ton of work to do this stuff. Um, and so you need to have the drive to do it. And when it's something you care about, you'll like want to put in the effort to make that extra revision to do that extra play test to uh you know find the right artist instead of just getting it done and out which leads to a pretty mediocre product yeah the i think the love is is what carries through a lot of people through in the heart through in the hardest part of part of that work for sure so what's your favorite thing to create obviously you've worked in a lot of different mediums but when you <laughs> sit down to work what type of project excites you more than any other who uh you know that's a good question and it kind of depends on what i have been working on so in the last year <laughs> i've made like a lot of monsters for different systems um and so i would say like who i uh, you know i'm i'm could good making monsters for a while right yeah. um or that kind of thing so i think uh in terms of for dnd &D, the thing that i really like to make the most are adventures mm -hmm. um and i think that's because every adventure can be very different. Um, and so if I'm working on one, then I can, you know, I can create something that's kind of horror and then move over into a, uh, a more whimsical zone. And then I can make like more of a dungeon crawl and all that kind of stuff. Um, but my favorite thing to make uh, is a role-playing game from scratch, right? Like yeah, to, from scratch, create a new game entirely. Um, so if we're not talking, if we're talking outside of D&D &D, or if we're talking just in general favorite thing to make, it yeah. would be that. Oh yeah, no, in general thing. And I actually saw on Twitter, you were you were asking people what drives them to a non-D&D tabletop role-playing game. And as I was preparing for this interview, I wondered, I wonder if he's working on something and is trying to <laughs> drive that interest. Not that you can probably say anything about it, but uh, that was what was on my mind when you were asking people about that. 
Yeah. So I did. I this year I released a, a role playing game called Burn Bright, which yep. is available on Roll Twenty, um, and it's a science fantasy role playing game. It is very uh, whimsical and uh, and strange. Uh, like you don't play humans in the game. Yeah. Um, you play super powered alien species, and many of them are very very weird. Like uh, uh, you know, one is a telepathic swarm of bugs. You play the whole swarm. Another is a slug, a giant slug that enters and can puppet corpses. It's very <laughs> strange. Um, uh, and so, I, you know, I I can look at the sales numbers of that and I can look at the sales numbers of like other D&D things that I have, you know, Burn Bright was over three years of work mm-hmm. um, that I have put definitively less work into that will sell more copies, right? And yeah. so it's sort of on my mind, right, is certainly, like we talked about, making the things I want to make, but also getting the return that I would like to see. Um, And I've seen a great return in Burn Bright. The community has been very great about supporting it. um, And I am very excited about how well it has done. Mm -hmm. But I'm always wondering, how can I get it in more people's hands? And how can I, once it's in your hands, get you to play it? Um, So that was sort of where that was going. Uh, Just thinking about stuff like that. So let's segue then in, into Burn Bright because I do I do want to talk about it. Obviously, you worked on it for almost four years, and the system is unique in the sense that it was optimized for the Roll20 platform. But before we get into some of the specifics about the system, how did you get involved in the project? Like, what was the origin of, of Burn Bright and your involvement in it? Ah, so that's a great question. So this is a story about uh, shooting your shot, right? Yeah. Um, so Roll20... Uh, years ago, put out a listing for they wanted someone to come be a, a game master on their staff, right? Okay. Um, to run games online and and to do stuff for them. And I applied uh, for that. I had a podcast at the time and the blog, and I had some products out and stuff. Um, and I made it to the final round of interviews, and I didn't get the job. Okay. Um, but when during interviews, uh, I met the founders, right? And one of the founders said, "Wow, I live like a block from you. This is wild." <laughs> Do you yeah. ever want to go get lunch? And I said, yeah, of course, right? Um, and when they told me, hey, you didn't get the job, I'd send an email, right? Thank you for for the opportunity. And by the way, if you ever want to go get lunch, it's on me, right? So we went to lunch. And um, and uh, from there, we started to talk about things. And I started to get involved in uh, the back end of Roll20, behind the scenes doing stuff. Right, right, right. So um, one of the things that I did for them was um, the, the GM they hired was great GM, but didn't really know fifth edition, right? And they said, would you be willing to run fifth edition for us uh, on our stream sometimes? Would you be willing to write an adventure we could give away for free? That's a D&D adventure that teaches people how to use Roll20. And so I did that. It's called the Master's Vault. Okay. And while we were working on that, you can get it right now, available for free on Roll20. <laughs> nice. um, uh, teaches you how to use Roll20 and how to play D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I said, uh, hey, have you ever thought about, like, you have this marketplace where you sell D&D stuff, you sell Paizo stuff. Um, it's much like beginning where they had everybody else's content. You could go watch Marvel movies. And you could go watch, uh, you know, HBO stuff and all that. And then they slowly brought it in there, right? Um, Orange is the New Black came out and House of yeah. Cards and all these other things. I said, have you thought about putting your own game? They said, we did. It's funny you bring that up. We have this idea where we could sell our own game, like, and then we started to talk about it and went from there. And I, I pitched them some ideas. They said, we'd love to have you work on this. And I assembled a team and that's how <laughs> yeah. it happened. 
And who would have known that the game would launch during a global pandemic when Rule 20 is arguably more popular than ever before? So <laughs> I think that the timing sort of was fortuitous for the, the launch at that point, right? Because, I mean, not to say that it wouldn't have gotten in people's hands, but more people are paying attention to Rule 20 now than ever before, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the user base has uh, has spiked and they already had millions of users. You know, it's yeah. I, I think it's more than doubled since the pandemic started. And yeah, of course. Um, I, I do want to throw out there that like I would uh, never have worked on Burn Bright if it meant we could not have the pandemic, right? Like I don't, yeah, I don't want to, you know, but, but you are correct, right? It did definitely, it was a fortunate thing in that sense um, that the, the timing for that kind of worked out the way it did, uh, that if we were going to have a pandemic, it was a good time to launch this game on a virtual tabletop. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to assume that you're happy the pandemic happened because totally, right totally. launched. World 20 is 20. Just for anybody listening, we're, we're not, not suggesting that at all. It's just more the the coincidence happening that Absolutely. World 20 is quite yeah. popular now. Yeah, and so. I didn't think you were either. I just okay. wanted to, all right. you know, it helps to address, so now, every, obviously. Yeah, so now we're yeah, on the, we're all on the same page. a good person, everyone, and he's got a soul. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, the pandemic sucks. There's basically nothing good about it, but... Okay, so right. if you could describe Burn Bright in one sentence, what would it be? So it's a science fantasy role-playing game that is about the end of the world and still having hope. That's what ah, I would say. Very cool. Yeah. And you, you talked a little bit about the reception of the user base and how much they've um, rallied around and supported the, uh, the project. How has been the the reception of the game in the broad, in the broader community, have you been able to, to reach groups um, and connect with them and get them to pick up the game and try it? Um, has it been, has the growth been organic? What's the sort of overall reception been in that way? Yeah. So uh, I think the hard thing is getting people to play it, right? Like, and, and I get it. People are limited on time. People need to learn rules. This is not a one page role playing game, right? Like honey heist or yeah. something like that. It's a, it's a, a hundred thousand words uh yeah. the the rule book quote unquote book uh is is long and so you need to sit down you need to read it you need to learn how to play now we do have uh quick start adventures too that teach people how to play without having right. to in the full book and that kind of thing um and there have been a lot of actual plays that has helped got, get the word out uh you know and people have just generally been very receptive and positive when they do pick it up and very good about shouting it out. Um, and so that has really helped. So it's been a lot of organic kind of growth. Roll20 has pushed it a lot during Roll20Con and various yeah. other events, Rollvember that they had. They were very great about that. So um, so yeah, it's, it's growing and I would say it's continuing to grow steadily. I see a lot of people uh, having campaigns and streams and stuff like that. And it really, um, it is such a weird and wonderful feeling to see someone play it on stream or, or on a podcast uh, and, and not to have me have begged them to do so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So thank you to everybody. And thank you to the people who I do beg who did do it. So thank you to them too. <laughs> thank, thank you to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, what's So what's next for Burn Bright? Obviously you've put out the, the core system. People are playing it. They're trying it. You're looking at how they're playing it. You're looking at feedback, I'm sure. Uh, is there expansions planned for it? Is there more, more to come? Is it a complete system? What's, what's the next step for it? 
Great question. So there's already a lot out for Burnbright. Um, so Burnbright right. uh, has launched, uh, there's two starter adventures, one that only takes a session. Like there's one called Trapped at the Edge that's literally two to three hours. You sit down with your players, okay. you go, there's pre-gens. The other one's a little bit longer, like the D&D starter set. Um, and then there is a longer adventure, right? That uh, comparable to like a Watsy hardcover, a little shorter, um, just because okay. people who play a lot of role-playing games don't tend to to stick around necessarily for 40 to 50 sections, right? They might play right, for right. 20. Um, and so that's, uh, so those are out there and there's a monster expansion uh, that has been put oh, okay. out uh, that includes cool. new monsters, new spaceships, stuff like that. That's called the Galactic Grimoire. Um, so you've got that going. Uh, and then there's the core game as well. And then uh, there's also another adventure that's really great called Shop of Dreams that Carnelian King put out on the mm. Roll20 Marketplace. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff, right? That's my way of saying there's a lot of a lot of ways to, to enter Roll, uh, Burn Bright and Play. Um, so I do not know what Roll20's plan for Burn Bright is at this point. I know they're assessing okay. things uh, and I know we've talked about things, um, but there's nothing I can say at this time um, what the plan for continued support is. Um, but I am hopeful that there will be continued support of Burn Bright. Right. Well, I mean, like you said, there's there's lots of lots of stuff out there, and and people are playing it, and I'm sure over time you'll you'll see some some new stuff uh, for Burnbright. Hopefully, uh, we'll 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 nudge Roll Twenty in that direction. Hopefully, because I think it's a it's a it's a it's a unique system, and I think it's interesting that uh, you made the design choice not to include humans. It's all aliens. It's just all sort of wacky and weird, and giving people a different experience they might not be used to from traditional role playing games. So I thought that was really cool. Totally, yeah, and that's a that's a big shout out to the design team: Darcy Ross, Cat Cool, Jim McClure. We all designed it together, um, yeah. and uh, and the decision to not put humans in was really something the three of them brought to the table, and it is a great one because uh, essentially humans are always like the diverse species that can do anything, right? Um, this yeah. when you take that element out every species is now diverse right mm -hmm. every species can have the diversity that humans does uh and so it's really great to see that um and uh, and it really works well in the system right so uh i'd like to chat a little bit about probably one of the most fun products i've seen on dm's guild uh, which of course is my dad's monster manual it's a book you co-created with your father for those who might not be familiar with the project how would you describe it uh, so I took all of the art in the monster manual, uh, the fifth edition monster manual, and I showed it to my dad without any of the words. Right. And I asked him questions, right? I said, what do you think this is? Uh, what, what does it do? Where does it come from? Uh, any follow-up questions? Um, and then I put his responses into uh, monster entries, right? I wrote a stat block and I wrote up uh, <laughs> like an entry for it based on what he told me back. Right. Um, so that's what it is. It's 80 creatures from the monster manual uh, that have been uh, uh, play tested. Um, they've been, you know, edited. Uh, we had sensitivity readers on this. It's been produced like a real product and you mm -hmm. can use these creatures in your game. It's not just one giant dad joke. Um, although there are plenty of dad jokes. So. <laughs> and 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 one, one advantage in some ways is that uh, because your dad is sort of the the one who came up with the concepts behind the creature, you could put what somebody might think is a beholder who does something completely different. And it's a way to provide experienced players a different experience, which I, I find kind of fun. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's you can also mix and match them, right? So you could have beholders in your world and the cryon, which is my dad's version of the beholder in there as well, um, which I think is really fun. Uh, you can you can do some really, really fun things uh, with this and you can mix and match these monsters within your world. Um, and my it's funny, my father, uh, sometimes the lore is kind of close and sometimes it is so vastly different. Yeah. from what is in there and uh, and that was great and the other thing that's great is he doesn't really know D&D that well so there were some real design challenges he threw my way that I never would have thought of because I sort of know where the parameters of D&D are right, right. like where it, what it can and can't do and so when he says this creature is the size of a literal mountain right I have to think about like what is the reach of a creature that has the size <laughs> of a you know uh, and so that was really fun to to think about that as well when you when you were what what gave you the idea to even create a project like this did you just happen to show your dad a picture he's like oh that thing must do that like what's the where did you get the idea uh, you know i was uh, it was christmas eve and i always go to my parents house on christmas eve mm -hmm. um uh, except for this year cuz you know pandemic yeah. uh, but but in 2019 i was there and uh and we were all telling stories about my dad and kind of, uh, you know, what a weird daddy is. Everybody's yeah. got a weird dad. Uh, yeah. And so so we're, we're telling these stories and stuff. And uh, and that idea just kind of came to me and I fired it off as a tweet. Um, <laughs> uh, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I did this? Uh, and it was like, at the time, my most liked, retweeted, commented on tweet ever. And I thought, oh, I, wow. I better do this. <laughs> uh, so then I asked my dad if he actually wanted to do it. and uh, And he said, that he would uh so yeah so that's sort of the uh, you know unfiltered twitter uh is what brought this about nice uh twitter has brought us so much joy and so much pain it's uh good good that you've been able to contribute something so positive to it yeah. um yeah so I've seen that the book is has been number one on the Guild Adept, on the DMs Guild for a long time, pretty much since it was released, if I'm not mistaken. What has your dad's reaction to the book's success been? Is he like, am I, am I a D&D &D star now? Like, what does he say about it? <laughs> uh, so uh, he's been very grateful about it all uh, and very, um, very touched, I think, that, uh, that people have such positive things to say about it. Um, and he, you know, a couple people did like video reviews a guy named ted who runs a youtube channel called nerd immersion um yeah. did like this video review the first day that my dad went and watched and loved uh, <laughs> and, uh all that kind of stuff so he's been uh, he's been really very touched uh by the fact that the community is so uh, into this uh and uh, and i think surprised i think he's mostly surprised that anybody wants to do yeah anything that he's touched, uh, like, like have anything to do with it. So, <laughs> so does it success mean that we can expect my dad's monster manual too? <laughs> uh, so perhaps so because I'm going to work with MCDM full time, yeah. uh, I can't be a, I'm not going to be a guild adept anymore. Right. I can still right. put stuff on the guild, but I can't be a guild adept. Um, and, uh, and so guild adepts have access to the art, right? And so, right, right, right. Um, so I won't have access to art from the D&D books to make another one, but I have a thought for a thing that I want to do that's similar um, that involves, I have uh, nephews who are six and seven uh, and it <laughs> involves them. Um, and it involves, they like to create their own monsters and make their own art. Uh, and so I kind of have this idea of like, well, what if I, what if I do the same thing, but with their monsters, I stat them out for them. 
right? Um, yeah. So that is uh, perhaps my nephew's Tome of Foes will be the next <laughs> thing that we see, the, the follow-up sequel. <laughs> uh, awesome. So you've done, obviously, uh, people who are listening to the podcast are generally going to be familiar with your work. You've contributed to a number of successful books for Wizards. Uh, you co-designed Burn Bright. Hell, you were nominated for an Emmy uh, a couple of years ago. But I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Um, which of your career accomplishments uh, as of right now are you most proud? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think it's Burn Bright um, because uh, because it was it's a new role playing game built from the ground up, yeah. um, and it is a crunchy uh, role playing game, right? It's got it's got several mechanics, um, not as crunchy as D and D, but somewhere between like a D and D and a Powered by the Apocalypse, right? It, okay. it sits within there, um, and it took a lot of work, and it took a lot of it was a lot of producing, right? It was a lot of working with people and, and getting them uh, on board and, and working with them to, to produce the best thing. But it's also a lot of writing on, on my end and stuff. So I would say Burn Bright um, is the thing that I am most proud of thus far in, uh, in my career. Um, but there's a lot of things that I am very, very proud of for sure. Well, you, you, uh, you answer, you answered that very quickly. I thought, I thought I might have you there for a second, but, uh, <laughs> no, no, that came, that came, came quickly. So you, you mentioned it a little bit, uh, but what's next for you? Um, you, if you could chat a little bit about, about your, your next career step. Sure. So uh, I'm going to be a RPG line producer at MCDM, which is Matt Colville's production company. We uh, we made um, Strongholds and Followers uh, is probably the book people are familiar with. Kingdoms and Warfare is the yeah. the next Kickstarter they did that's going to come soon. Uh, and Arcadia, which just launched uh, the month that we're recording this. Very um, cool. And Arcadia is a, a 5e magazine that we're putting out through the MCDM Patreon. Oh, okay. um, so I will be, I'm the managing editor of that magazine in this new role that I have. And I'm also producing uh, books for them. Uh, so we'll see uh, a bunch of 5e books come out from us. Okay. And then who knows what's next? Um, so uh, we're, we're talking, we're scheming, we're making plans. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so that you'll see those. And then I... Um, you know, I'll have side projects too, uh, that will have some things. Uh, my, my partner in podcasting crime, Rudy Basso and I are working on a D and D thing. Uh, oh, and I also have a, a full length Zweihander adventure that is coming out, uh, nice. probably in 2022. Uh, so yeah, so there's stuff, there's stuff going to come out. So you're shocking to hear you're you're not going anywhere anytime soon. Your name's going to be over a whole ton of products over the next year or two. Uh, nobody's going to forget who you are. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I I hope so. I hope so. Um, and it's you know this is great to see. Uh, role playing games is is growing by the day, uh, and it's bigger than it's already been ever been. I think. Um, and so it's great to see so many opportunities. It used to be if you wanted to work full time, there were really like one, maybe two companies you could yeah. go to, and that has really grown a lot. Uh, and so hopefully uh, it continues to grow and we continue to see more great creators uh, get out there and, and do awesome stuff. All right, James. Well, thanks very much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Everyone, this is a beautiful human. Shower, Gary, with your love and your Patreon dollars. Oh, uh, well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate that especially. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This is great. That's all I have for you on the cock die this week. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
If the die is cocked, it doesn't count.